This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here we go. Hour two of the show. LSU baseball first half of the hour. Jeff Palermo will join us at 920. And Tom Brady joins Twitter and why the NFL finally got it right. Certainly unexpected to me with their replay changes. And really a burying of the hatchet between Sean Payton and Roger Goodell, perhaps the most surprising thing so far of 2019. Go back to the show. Seth Dunlap here, Logan behind the glass in our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll. The new NFL pass interference replay rules will mean what? More consistency or more chaos? You can cast your vote at www.com or the radio.com app. Speaking of LSU baseball, we are your home for baseball this week. No game, there's a game tomorrow, but no game here on WWR. Not carrying the midweek games against Grambling and South Alabama this week, but we will have the series against Texas A&M this weekend. First game Friday, pregame 6.30, first pitch 7 o'clock. And then because of the uh, NCAA men's Final Four that will carry, the second game on Saturday is going to be on Hot 102, or it's going to be Hot 92.9. Same time, pregame 6.30, first pitch 7 o'clock. And then Sunday, we'll be back on WWL, pregame 1.30, first pitch 2 here on WWL. So it was a weird week for LSU baseball. In fact, it's been a weird couple of weeks for LSU baseball. They lose that series to Georgia when they score one total run the first two games, and they lose the midweek game against McNeese State, and people are already freaking out. Midweek losses, LSU fan base never happy, sky's always falling. They follow up those three losses, two against Georgia and then against McNeese, and they lose the opener against Mississippi State. Zach has the loss, 5-6, and fans are going, oh, boy, here we go. Are things completely falling apart for LSU? Social media set ablaze. And then what happens? Well, like so many times, this program under Paul Maneri got to relax. R-E-L-A-X. Things will work themselves out, and they usually do. Two wins against the top five team in a row, 10-5, and then 11-2. And all of a sudden, LSU back in the top dozen or 13 in the rankings, and they're only one half game back of the lead in the SEC West. And in fact, they will play for that lead in the SEC West this weekend when they take on Texas A&M. Folks, if I was on the air the last week, and I know I wasn't, so I wish I could back this up and play some sound for you, but I would have been telling you, and I think, you know, if you listen to this program long enough, you just got to ride out in a long season like college baseball, especially in the lesser extent college basketball, but especially baseball, one loss, two loss, three, even three or four in a row, not great, but it's not the end of the world. LSU should be a national seed when it's all said and done. Season ended today? No, probably not. But fortunately for LSU, the season doesn't end today. They're 6-3 and three in the SEC. 
Again, half game backs is Texas A&M in the West for the best record. They're only one game back of Georgia for the best record in the conference. Vanderbilt, who was number one in some polls at the beginning of the year, they're six and three. Florida is four and five under five hundred. Mississippi State, who a lot of people think might be the best team in the country, they're five and four. This conference is absurd. Best baseball conference in America, and it's not close right now. Conference play is going to be a whole heck of a lot tougher than any regional is, and it might be even a little easier than a super regional is, depending on your draw there. I know people love to deride pulmonary, which I really don't get. I understand it happens. I understand that the bar is so high here after what Skip Burtman did. You expect titles or at least competing for titles every year, and you expect certainly actual physical titles and trophies every handful of years or so. It hadn't happened in 10 years. Pulmonary talked about it at the beginning of the year, how that's unacceptable, and he's ready for another title. He's assembled that kind of talent, championship-level talent again, at LSU and all the guys that came back yes problems in the pitching staff and you have question marks at the bottom of the rotation question marks at the catcher spot I guess question marks now here even in the bullpen but there's just too much talent I mean it's baseball I know we made a joke about the Red Sox in the first hour defending World Series champions favorites to win it again this year and what happens the first series of the year against what's supposed to be one of the worst teams in the American League they lose a four a three game series two out of the three to Seattle and people in Boston are kind of freaking out the rest of the country's looking at Boston going what it's three games out of 162 what are you talking about well the rest of the SEC the rest of the college baseball world's looking at LSU looking at LSU fans who are freaking out hopefully you're not one of them but going really you're worried about LSU? You're worried about pulmonary? I don't be. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. Now they get to postseason play. They get to a regional and struggle. They don't make it out of a regional. Don't make it out of a super regional. Then we'll have a conversation. Then we're talking about a serious failure to live up to expectations. But until that happens, I'm going to play it out. Well, it wasn't played out. About halfway through the regular season schedule here, not even halfway through the SEC season schedule. We'll take a break. Jeff Palermo will talk about a little LSU baseball, probably a little LSU hoops also. When we come back here, stay tuned. It's the last lap on WWL. LSU two out of three. The baseball diamond against Mississippi State, top five team last week, although they're eighth in the polls this week. It was a good bounce back for LSU after those four losses and Helped Tiger fans at least uh, you know quell that uh, bad taste in their mouth a little bit after that Michigan State loss in the Sweet 16 earlier in the week. Jeff Palermo of LRN, Louisiana Radio Network, joining us on LSU Sports Radio Network. What's going on, Jeff? A uh, busy weekend and, and look, a good one for LSU baseball after all the all the the sky is falling talk like we see so many times, right? Yeah, for and yeah, and you would think uh, LSU baseball fans are very loyal and, and they are very knowledgeable. But you would think uh, <laughs> after watching this program for the last, I don't know, thirty years, that uh, every every team goes through their laws and 
that's what they had. They had a four-game losing streak where uh, in, in two of those games against Georgia, they, they battled right down to the end, and uh, they, they only lost by a couple runs in, in those two games. And then, yeah, the McNeese game is really hard to explain. That was, that was not pretty at all. And then they, they battled Mississippi State again on Thursday. They got down 6-2, to two, uh, ended up making it a game. It, it wasn't like um, – and, again, I know the McNeese loss was pretty bad, but just the fact that they only had four hits and didn't score a run. But it wasn't like when they were playing Georgia and Mississippi State, two teams ranked in the top ten, that they were getting crushed 8-1, to 9-2, or anything like that. They were right in those games. Um, and then – Friday night, Antoine Duplantis, second pitch of the game, hits a sharp single right up the middle. Josh Smith hits a, a single. They got runners at first and third, and then with two outs, Chris Reed delivers a homer run, and they end up scoring three runs in that inning. And the team just kind of took off from there. And it, it's the old adage in baseball. Sometimes it just takes one swing, and it gets the team right back in the direction that they should be going. And that's exactly what happened when Antoine Duplantis singled right up the middle on Friday night for his 300th career hit, by the way. And uh, LSU baseball never looked back the next two nights. And, and look, I'm not a, a guy who watches LSU baseball and lives and dies with every pitch all season long. I watch almost every game, but I'm not Christian Garrick who's you know tweeting, live-tweeting every <laughs> single pitch, right? But I have never felt this season, not once, have I ever been concerned about this team, Jeff. Should I be? Well, I- it's not a perfect team. I will say that. I don't know if it's the as good as the preseason number one ranking that they got. Uh, not to say that by May or June that it, it's once again looking like the number one ranked team. Um, I think there are some concerns. I mean, they right now third base and catcher are are two positions where you're you got guys and you got multiple guys hitting in those two positions, and you're you got guys hitting below two hundred. Um, that's not going to cut it. They're, they're going to have to figure out something there at second base and catcher. So Garza has been a has been a, a disappointment at this point, uh, and they really could use another right-handed bat, uh, a productive right-handed bat. Right now they're really just relying on Zach Watson, and that's a bit of a concern. Of course, they don't have any lefties in the, in the, on the pitching staff. That's a bit of a concern. Um, but I, I think what we've seen here, even during that four-game losing streak, that this team has the pitching to compete with with anybody. And, and look at what they did on Saturday and Sunday. And, and even after you get beyond the Zach Hess start on Thursday, what Trent Bittmeyer did against Mississippi State out of the bullpen on Thursday night, I mean, that was a team that had scored 53 runs in its last three games, and LSU's pitching really nullified them after they, they rocked around Zach Hess a little bit. So um, I think the pitching is good enough, Seth, to, to really make a, a strong run in Omaha. And I'll throw Zach has Cole Henry and and and, um, and Eric, Eric Walker out there against any other three man rotation in, in college baseball. I think it's I think it's that good because uh, I think you feel like uh, two out of those three guys every weekend are really going to give you a good start and give you a chance to win. Yeah, maybe one guy's going to get lit up a little bit like Zach Hess did. But I think you feel pretty good about the other two, especially if Eric Walker really uh, starting to uh, look like the Eric Walker of uh, two years ago prior to the Tommy John surgery. 
It's Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network and LSU Sports Radio Network joining us here. It's interesting you mentioned Zach Hess there. Fantastic start a week ago against Georgia, going eight uh, innings, no runs. But he reverted to that that inconsistent Zach Hess that it's been now for a year and a half, really frustrating LSU fans. And, and I do look at Zach Hess maybe through an unfair lens, Jeff, uh, of one like the the Alex Lang lens, the Aaron Noel lens, that you just expect your Friday night guy to go out there, beat the brains out of everybody, and then become you know an, a first round draft pick. Is that kind of an unfair standard that 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 Friday night starter for LSU is now being held to, and Zach Hess is being held to? I, I do agree with you on that, Steph. I, I think LSU fans, uh, those that cover LSU, have been spoiled here because of the great run of Friday night starters they've had. You just kind of mentioned him. I mean, you can even go back to 2009 when they had Anthony Renato. Um, I mean, they, they had just a, an absolute great run of just Friday night pitchers here um, and guys that are now pitching in the majors. And I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think – I mean, Zach Hess's stuff is as good as those guys. Uh, he was he, – he was, in the Thursday game, he's up 2 to nothing in the fourth inning. He's got a one-two count on a hitter with a couple men on, and there's two outs, and he throws a fastball up and in, and the guy knocks it out of the park. I mean, if, if he makes one pitch there, who knows how that night goes, but the location wasn't where it needed to be, and, and the guy hit it out of the ballpark. So um, those are the things that uh, that, that happen. It, it is a little head-scratching, um, but I, the two starts before that were really good from Zach Hess, and I think if you could get – you know, three out of if out of uh, four starts, if three of them are really good, I think you'll live with that again because you like what your options are with your uh, game two starter and your game three starter. And there's other guys coming out of the bullpen that are pitching really well. I mean, to me, you look at this, you look at this pitching staff. I think there's six, seven guys that you can really depend on. I mean, the, the three starters: uh, Vitmeyer, Matthew Beck, uh, Devin Fontenot. And then hopefully uh, Todd Peterson comes around a little bit and it's kind of the Todd Peterson that we saw at the end of last year. That gives you seven pitchers that I think you can really count on that most times are going to go out there and really give you a great a great effort or a great uh, outing. Um, and that's probably a lot more than what other college teams can uh, muster. I mean, look at Mississippi State this past weekend, or number two ranked team in the country going into that series. They don't have a game three starter. They they started their midweek starter against LSU. He only lasted two innings. So uh, LSU certainly doesn't have that problem this season. No doubt. But they have a problem with the team that they're going to face. Very good one. And I guess it's like every single week here in SEC play. But Texas A&M leads the SEC West by a half game. Real big series here for the Tigers, Jeff. It is. And they're going to face a lot of left-handed pitchers here over the next couple of weeks. And to me, that's, uh, that, that could be a little concern because LSU is so left-handed dominant. Um, but if Antoine Duplantis and Chris Reed are able to hit lefties good, um, and, and I would say those are two-year better left guys that hit off of left-handers, uh, I think that's a good – if those guys can stay as hot as they were this past weekend, uh, and LSU's chances are uh, – you, you got to like LSU's chances. But it is going to be hard for <laughs> For what Antoine Duplantis and Chris Reed did in uh, the Friday and Saturday game, that's going to be tough to duplicate. That's why you're you're hoping some other guys can step up. C.J. Willis gave them a really nice spark uh, off the bench Thursday. Hits a pinch hit double for an RBI. 
with two strikes on him and then drives in three runs on Saturday or excuse me, Friday. And then Saturday he had another good game where he drove in, I think a couple runs and had a hit. Um, so if you can get more guys to kind of step up and tell you what, if they can, if they can get some offensive production, especially out of second base, um, catcher, you know, sometimes you just, you just want that guy be a good defensive catcher. Brock Mathis has done a better job throwing guys out. I think he does an outstanding job blocking balls at the plate. Um, but if they can figure out if, if Hal Hughes or Brent Broussard can give them something offensively, that would really help this offense, especially a guy like Brant Broussard, who had a really good career at Delgado, uh, high hopes for this kid. He was he was hitting the ball very well last year until he injures his thumb, and now he's he's struggling once again. But he can give you that speed, and he can play some defense for you. He can be that number nine guy, kind of that second leadoff man, but he's got to get on base more often. If he can do that, I think that really sets this offense up to do some good things. Chatting with Jeff Palermo at Jeff Palermo LRN on Twitter. Give him a follow there. Uh, basketball here, Jeff. Um, how are you going to look back on this season? And I'm not just talking about now, but you know, say two, three, four years from now. You're going to remember the Will Wade stuff. Or you're going to remember the Sweet 16 run. Uh, I, I think you're going to. That's a good question. I think you'll remember both. I, I think you'll. I guess we still have to wait and see what ends up happening, right? Um, you know, as, and in particular with the NCAA sanctions, um, if there are any, if, if anything comes out of that, it's, it's still too early to tell. Um, was this just kind of a, a mirage of a season? I don't even know if that's the right word, but um, it, it's, I think it's a, a – I think you kind of look back at it as a frustrating season in a sense, right? Because they, they had such a talented team and then they get caught up in this FBI wiretap scandal. You lose your head coach and uh, then you get, you get a tough draw, especially considering the, the two and one seeds that were in the regional. Um, I, I think even with Will Wade as their head coach, if, if the FBI, if the Yahoo report never came out and Will Wade was their head coach, um, and they were the number three seed in that region. I think, I think the same result would have happened. Uh, they maybe they wouldn't have gotten beat by Michigan State as much as they did, but I think they got put in a tough situation there because I think that team was in the right. You know, if they were out west, Gonzaga's the number one seed. I think that's a team that could get into the Final Four. Um, but I, I think it's it's just frustrating where maybe you just didn't see where it could go with its full potential, and obviously the the Wade Sims uh, murder at the beginning of the year. I mean, what he could have meant to this team if, if he was there as well, another veteran guy, um, who knows, could have, could have really helped him out as a lot, helped him out a lot as well. So uh, you'll remember a lot of the great games. I mean, the, the yeah. win at Kentucky, the beating Tennessee at home, uh, coming back from 17 down, beating Auburn in the regular season. A lot of great moments. It was fun watching Tremont Waters hit game-winning shots. Um, but in the end, there's, I think it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more. Um, but unfortunately, uh, because of circumstances, they couldn't do that. Jeff, it's always a pleasure, my man. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for all the insight. No problem, Seth. Thank you. Jeff Palermo of Louisiana Radio Network on Twitter, at Jeff Palermo, L-R-N. Back with your calls and texts after this. I'm going to pull the curtain back here just a little bit. So, uh, And thanks to Jeff Palermo. But I was just texting with my friend uh, Brent Evans, who was in town the last couple of weeks too. So I was also playing host family 
And then I was uh, hosting him in town. He comes about uh, once a year or so. Uh, we were watching the first LSU game together, the, the Yale game, first LSU tournament game, the Yale game together. Um, down at Manning's right here. It was great. Uh, look, shameless plug here for Manning's and free plug. They didn't ask me to, but great place to watch a game. Uh, we were watching it at Manning's, and those big recliners of theirs. And uh, Jamie Erdahl, who's the great sideline reporter, she really is. She's outstanding, excellent, uh, great sideline reporter, covered LSU that day during the tournament. She came back from halftime and used, well, let's just say she used an analogy that I would not have, and I'm surprised wasn't a little more viral than it was. She, she said that Yale needed to eat some magic beans, or I, I maybe didn't find the magic beans at halftime, and I guess she didn't really explain that, but I guess that's like the, the bean, the jack and the the beanstalk bean, and the giant bean that he got so big and everything and then got on up there. So hashtag magic bean was kind of a... An old personal meme of ours, and right in that middle of that interview with Jeff Palermo, uh, Brent Evans texted me his hashtag Magic Bean, and I almost spit out my drink and lapped on air. So thank you for that, Brent. So I don't know if he's listening tonight or not, but yes, so almost uh, coming across the air there. If I laughed, you heard me snicker a little bit. It wasn't it, Jeff. It was because of the uh, hashtag Jamie Erdahl Magic Bean. I will be a Magic Bean for life. Hashtag, hashtag Magic Bean for life. Uh, let's go to the phone lines here at 504-260-1870. Joe in Mandeville. What's going on tonight, Joe? Yeah. Let's do a little state of LSU address here. Yes, they did have a good season in basketball, but you know the margin of victory was narrow, under five points for the majority of it. But I knew, like you said, on Thursday or Friday, they got boat raced by Michigan. It was, the end was near, and I saw it coming just like you did. But come on, let's be real here. That's about as far as they were going to go, and I don't see any of these players coming back. What's any of them? Any of them, Joe? Who who's not who's not coming? Who is going to come back? Honestly. And are you, now, are you there. talking about they're declaring for the draft? You think just think everybody's going to exit because yeah. the program's going to oh, go? They're bolting. They they don't want it. Rats jumping off a ship. Real quick, this is a big question for okay. you right. before I get to LSU baseball. Chris Beard, bidding war is starting up. It's going to be between UCLA and Texas. He's a UT grad. Who's backing up the truck to pay this man? Uh, well, I, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to answer both your, your comments and questions here, and then I know you have LSU baseball, so let you get to that. Um, is there going to be a mass exodus for LSU? I well it's tough Nas Reed's probably gone seniors are obviously gone uh, Tremont Waters he's not NBA ready does, does he leave because of what's happening he needs more seasoning if he wants to play in the NBA which I think is going to be a tall order for a guy his stature for as fantastic as he is in college I think he's a four-year college guy I do and I think that's here at LSU I expect him back Emmett Williams isn't ready I expect him back Javante Smart certainly isn't ready I expect him back and remember, Smart's a Baton Rouge kid. Is he going to go somewhere else just because Will Wade's gone? I don't know. I don't know. Now, now Chris Beard is interesting. You're right. Uh, the, the bidding war is going to be very fierce. UCLA has just as much money around that basketball program as Texas, but he's a Texas grad. I And look, he's a Texas Tech. I expect him, if it's not Texas Tech, it's going to be Texas. I have a hard time seeing him go to the West Coast, Joe. Oh, okay. Real quick. LSU baseball. Do you watch this theory? Uh, yeah, yeah, most of it. Mm-hmm. You saw they struck out 43 times? 
All right, well, there's that's no LSU. Way this team is a, I know, but I'm just saying, there's no way it's a top eight seed. This pitching is not in place yet, and I don't see it getting any better. We'll see this weekend, and I'm telling you, the team to watch in the SEC is Arkansas. They play Texas, and I'm telling you, every every guy in that lineup can spray the ball from angle to angle. It was insane. They look like the real deal. Yeah, I've heard that too. You you're not the you're not the first person to says that. Joe, let me ask you a question before you go. If LSU, well, if Joe went. I'll, I'll say this. I won't even ask you a question. I'll just make a statement. Right now, is LSU a top eight seed of the season into today? No, I just said that at the top of the hour. But LSU, by the end of the season, I'd be a little stunned if they're not a top eight seed. In fact, I'd be stunned if they're not either first or second in the SEC West by the time it's all said and done, which will probably get them a top eight seed right there. Are they the best team in the country? No. Are they the best handful of teams right now? No. But by the end of the season, I expect them to be that. There's just too much talent here. Way too much talent here. Thanks for the call, Joe. Appreciate it. A couple of texts at 870-870. Reverend Ron, that's Ron Hunter, Tulane, was on with Christian and Bobby earlier this evening. He sounded hyped for the Tulane gig. Hopefully he can suppress his um, stuff. I'm not sure what that's all about, but yeah, no, I... I said, if you missed it in the first hour, Ron Hunter for Tulane. When I initially heard about the hire, first I was disappointed they didn't hire Coach Mark Schlesinger because that's kind of on that bandwagon. But after I got past that, I knew who Ron Hunter was. He'd made the tournament the last couple of years at Georgia State. I'm like, okay, I'm a little intrigued now. I want to know a little more about his pedigree and history. Coached at IUPUI for a very long time. Been the last eight years at Georgia State, six years in the Sun Belt Conference. And he's made the NCAA tournament three times in the last six years. He's made the postseason five out of the last six years. I mean, frankly, that's a pretty darn good resume for a guy going to coach a team that just went winless in conference play and does not have big-time money or the program prestige and history at Tulane. Time will tell. Time will tell on all these hires. But let me just say that I'm, I'm a lot more optimistic than I initially was. The more I know about Ron Hunter, the more I hear him talk and hear his vision for the program, I think the Green Wave might have found a very good hire. Now, this is going to be a big-time hire for Tulane. This is the coach and the next three or four years that are going to be expected to drag them out of complete basketball irrelevancy. I don't know if you've ever been to Devlin, ever been to Tulane and watch the basketball game, here's just the truth. That's a darn good facility. It is. It's a great place, intimate place, to watch a college basketball game, and I've seen it full or close to full a couple of times. Used to do PA over there. I've seen a lot of games at Devlin. It can get loud, and it is a fun place for Tulane fans to watch basketball games. I have always thought, I've always thought, at the mid-major and small-major schools, that it would behoove those athletic departments to throw more money at basketball, which is a revenue sport, because it's easier to build a program when you got to recruit five to eight guys than it is in football when you have to recruit, you know, 50 to 70. just is. I think Tulane... That campus, great campus in downtown New Orleans. Again, pretty good facility. Not great, but pretty good facility, especially considering the state of their program. 
I could see it as, as a school that eventually kind of gets it rolling here, especially in the conference there in the AAC, which is a very good basketball conference. Look at what Houston's doing. You have UConn in there. Oh, well, we'll see and watch it play out. Hoping to get Ron Hunter on our program. I know he's on Sports Talk, but hoping to get him on later in the week. We'll take a break. Phone lines are open now rest of the hour. It's open lines at 504-260-1870. Our text line is 870-870. And our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll, the new NFL pass interference replay rules will mean more. What? Consistency or chaos? You can cast your vote there. We'll talk a little replay coming back. And Tom Brady on Twitter. What? Has the world gone mad? Coming back here on the last lap. Tom Brady's on Twitter, y'all, and and – he made one heck of an entrance, probably the best entrance that I've ever seen to Twitter. Did you see this, Logan? Tom Brady's first tweet ever. And by the way, Tom Brady's been on Twitter for, what is it now, eight hours, nine hours? And already has like 750,000 followers or something, which is more than I'll ever have in my lifetime, likely. Um, but his first tweet today was, uh, he's going to retire. It's popped up on Twitter, and uh, so I just misplaced. Now I got to look it up. Why? This is great radio, but I just misplaced the sheet. Here was his uh, first his first tweet ten hours ago. Now, uh, Tom Brady by oh, only two hundred fifty seven thousand followers. My bad. Uh, at Tom Brady, already verified by Twitter somehow. When Twitter tells us they're not verifying anybody anymore, I'm still looking for that check mark. Twitter. Four years later, I keep emailing you and trying to contact your support, and they won't give me a check mark. But you give Tom Brady a check mark in his first day, nine hours? Come on. Who's more important, Tom Brady or me? But Tom Brady sent out a tweet at about noon today. Here's what he said at Tom Brady I'm retiring. In my spare time, I'll be tweeting. People started freaking out. Tom Brady's retiring? No, of course, it's just a joke. It's April Fool's. He tweeted later, about an hour later. Was that a bad joke? Well done, Mr. Brady. Entering Twitter. Uh, John Calipari, lifetime deal at Kentucky now. More details on that next hour. Possibly a precedent for local coach, perhaps. Sean Payton, I know they were talking about that on Sports Talk. The big news last week, and we were off the air for this, I really wish I was on, was the changes to instant replay in the NFL and a shocking change of developments because for months, members of that competition committee, Stephen Jones and John Elway and some unnamed sources, and then you had owners like John Mara and others come out and say, hey, this isn't happening. So I don't have support for it. We heard that multiple times. We covered it on our show. Multiple times they told us that. And I believed that the writing was on the wall, that nothing was going to get done. The people in New Orleans are going to be screaming at the top of their lungs. Most coaches and a lot of people inside the league, certainly the players, were going to be ready with pitches, pitchforks and torches, ready to storm the castle. But somehow it actually got done. Now, if you want an incredible read, and it's not that long, the part on replay anyways, is Peter King's Monday morning I guess it's Football Morning in America now, not MMQB, but to FMIA, Football Morning in America at NBC Sports. When he, he walks us through how this actually happened. Beginning of the owners' meetings, they, they held a voice vote. And only nine of the 32 owners raised their hands and said, yeah, I'm ready to vote for an overhaul of the replay system and allow pass interference plays to be replayed. 
Well, two very strange bedfellows might have kind of made this happen. Two guys that you would never think would want anything to do with each other. But sometimes you got to let the past lie. you got to bury the hatchet. And you've got to look out for your own future best interest, regardless, again, of what, how you might have been wronged in the past. That's Sean Payton and Roger Goodell. When that vote happened, Sean Payton and Roger Goodell were in the middle of the room, kind of front and center, sitting right next to each other. You know what happened when the vote finally came in 31 to 1? 31 owners voting yes, just one voting no. It's Mike Brown over at Cincinnati. First thing that happened, Roger Goodell slaps or you know, gently slaps, kind of pats Sean Payton on the leg and kind of a, yeah, we, we did it move. Both men very happy, as they should be, and both men, and yes, Roger Goodell, too, spearheading this movement through to get pass interference calls, whether they're actually flags on the field or uncalled pass interference plays reviewable in the NFL when almost nobody thought a week and a half ago it would be possible. Credit where credit is due. Certainly Sean Payton, we all know why he wanted this to happen. And look, Roger Goodell has done some terrible things during his tenureship as commissioner of the NFL. We've detailed them here. Don't need to do that now. But credit where credit is due. And I will tell you this. If Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, had not been such a massive proponent of this, it would not have happened. Full stop, period. If Roger Goodell would not have been politicking behind the scenes like he was during those owner meetings and before it, this would not have happened. This is in Peter King's column. I'm just going to read straight from here. A club official told Peter King, quote, Roger felt strongly in favor of being able to put up a flag on the field in response to the NFC Championship game. He was definitely a vital person in all of this, end quote. Talking to owners, massaging owners, and remember, he's the guy that's got to play politics behind the scenes and try to get everybody in consensus. And what do we have here? We finally... Yes, months later, but this is always when it was going to happen. We finally have an answer to what happened with the NOLA no-call. One of the worst moments in sports history, in my mind, the singular worst moment in NFL history as far as damaging the league's brand that it has built for nearly half a century. Have an answer to that, and now... Pass interference plays, whether they're called or uncalled pass interference plays, are reviewable. They've got a lot to work out here. And it's not going to be seamless. Think of the catch rule. Think of all those times you see catches and non-catches replayed and debated and hand-wrung in the NFL. Was that a catch? Yes, no. Al Riveron makes a call back in New York, and then we talk about it for a week, screaming at the top of our lungs, going, this is obviously a catch or obviously not a catch. What are they doing? We're going to have the same thing happen with these pass interference calls. It's going to become a part of our every Sunday. And that part won't be fun. But you know what won't happen again and what could not happen again, and thank goodness the NFL actually listened to better intuitions inside those league offices. You will never have a Nolan no-call happen again. And that, for my money, is worth whatever stress and strife 
and uncomfortableness we go through on our Sundays. Seth Dunlap, we're back after this on the last lap. Welcome back to the show. Um, You don't play a lot of attention to women's basketball much, but we do have regional finals in women's basketball happening right now. It looks like Notre Dame has just finished off Stanford, so the women's basketball final four is set. You will have Notre Dame, Baylor, UConn, and Oregon in the final four. It will be Notre Dame and UConn. Baylor and Oregon in that uh, women's final four. So there you go. Not long ago, LSU women were in that final four. Uh, tomorrow on Sports Talk with Bobby and Christian, NFL draft analyst Mike Dettelier on the show at 6 p.m. We'll talk about slot receivers in the middle part, late part of that draft that might help out the Saints. Remember, they didn't make any moves at the wide receiver spot in free agency if they're expecting Traquan Smith and Cam Meredith and certainly Michael Thomas and everybody else to just be well, – Michael Thomas was great, but everybody else in that wide receiver's core be better than they were last year. They go out to Vegas, and we'll talk about this tomorrow too. Vegas has the Saints over-under win total at 10.5. It's right behind New England, who's at 11, for tops in the NFL. 10.5 is a big number at this time of year. The only reason Vegas does this is to get your money – in their coffers before you actually know, well, what's happening in the draft, Uh, any other trades and moves that happen in free agency and on into the summer. If you're looking and you're itching and chomping at the bit to make a bet on the Saints at that 10.5 number, my advice to you, my sage gambling advice to you, and I bet Ralph Michaels when we talk to him on Wednesday about this will say the same thing, don't make that bet. That's a sucker bet. Don't do it yet. Even if you think the Saints, again, will be an 11-plus win team, even if you think they'll be one of the best teams in the NFL, again, don't make that bet yet. You just got time. It's way too early. Injuries happen. Look what happened with Nick Fairley a couple of years ago. Didn't we find out about that in the summer sometime? Don't know what happens in the draft. Don't know any trades that are going to be made. Just hold off on that. Hold off on that. So we got an Alexa or a Google Home, Amazon Echo or Google Home, Really easy to play us on your show. All you have to do is say either Alexa, play WWL, or OK, Google, play WWL. Just like that. And they will play our shows and all of our shows here at WWL. Quick updates on that Blue Runner gumbo opinion poll. The new NFL pass interference replay rules will mean more what? Consistency or chaos? And kind of like I expected, pretty split vote here. 55% saying consistency. 45% saying chaos. I said in the last segment, I realized that the first year, there's going to be growing pains with this. I have not been an Al Riveron fan. The officiating czar, vice president of officiating in the NFL. I think he's done a poor job, frankly, in his two years at the helm to take it over Dean Blandino. But I don't envy him at all because I'm not sure if there's a person on the planet that could roll out this rule change effectively next year. It's something that had to happen, just had to happen. Apparently, Jason Garrett coached the Cowboys made a really impassioned speech at those coaches' meetings. They got everybody on board. Apparently, got a standing ovation. So did Bill Belichick. Wouldn't let his fellow coaches out of the room when some of them wanted to leave. Said it was too important. Yeah, it just needed to happen. You, you could not risk having another moment like what happened to the Saints in the Superdome in late January. Just could not. It, it would 
it's tough to think one moment could ruin the National Football League. You have another one like that soon? Think about all your fans in full revolt, not just the ones here in New Orleans. Probably would have happened. Keep voting there. We'll update you next hour on that. Got a big final hour of the program, so don't want you to go anywhere. Doug Mouton, who tells me, I didn't tell me this, I'll have to ask him about this, told our producer, Helen, he's a big, and I didn't know this, big fantasy baseball nerd, so he had to wait till 1030 to come on the show. I got to ask him about that, which I'm fine with. It's cool. We'll wrap it for the last uh, 20 minutes or so of the show, but Doug Mouton, fantasy baseball nerd, and uh, WWL TV Anchor and sports director will come on. You know what we have to have on this week? I just realized this. we got to have Andrew Doak on. There's Texas Tech Red Raiders on. We'll talk Pels and LSU coaching searches. I saw Alvin Gentry out to Steins this weekend. He was yucking it up. Local hero. How about Becky Hammond? Becky Hammond for coach of the Pelicans. Bruce Arians probably thinks that's a good idea. All that and more. Final hour of the show coming up next year on The Last Lap. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law